And isn't it great to be here? Can you believe a week from today will be Christmas Eve? Oh my goodness. It just seems to have come by so, so fast. So again, I hope you remember next Sunday at 10, tell all your friends, because there will be some people coming and saying, where did everybody go? I don't know what's happening or coming at the close of service and everybody's, everybody's leaving. I do want to mention too about the longest night service on Thursday night. Um, it is for a lot of folks who have experienced the loss of a loved one, but you may have experienced some other loss in your life. Uh, maybe a job, maybe some broken relationship, uh, maybe some financial strain, maybe an illness or something that is making this Christmas a little more difficult for you. It's a great time. It's a more meditative, contemplative uh, service and a special time of prayer in that service. Or you may just want to come and support other folks who are there, who are struggling at this Christmas season. So I just want to remind you about that service and all the other services. We're so blessed. I hope you got to be uh, here for the uh, carols, Lessons and Carols service Sunday night. Oh my goodness, it was just wonderful, yeah. Great. It is available online, you can watch it, you know, share it with your family, and I'm sure it's probably on our TV channel at times too, so um, just wonderful to, to share that. It was such a special, special night. And I appreciate this opportunity to be a part of this series that we're doing about the grace of God, and especially God's grace as we look at the genealogy of Jesus, and especially the women that were a part of that genealogy. We were looking at Matthew in chapter one where it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then when we move down to verse five, it says, and Solomon was the father of Boaz by uh, Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David. The king. So we're going to spend some time in Ruth today. Now, we looked at Tamar and talked about her story. That's found back in the book of Genesis. This happened even before the children of Israel were in Egypt. Okay, this was before Joseph went and before all the family went there. So that's where we find the story of Tamar. Then last week, we talked about the story of Rahab. She lived in Jericho, and this was the time of going into the promised land and the conquest. Uh, of that land, and so she was there in Jericho. So this was after they came out of Egypt, after they'd roamed in the wilderness for 40 years, now finally they were coming into the promised land, and Joshua was their leader. And now we get to Ruth. Ruth takes place during a very difficult time um, of Israel's history. Um, They have gone into the land and conquered a lot of it, but not all of it. You remember God told them when they go into the promised land, they were to get rid of all the people that were there. Why? Sounds harsh, but God knew if they left some people there, they would begin to follow the customs of those people and especially begin to worship and to follow their gods. And that's exactly what we see happening. The book of Ruth takes place during the time of Judges. During the time of Judges, which was a dark time, um, as the children of Israel constantly rebelled against God and followed the gods of the people of the land. They would do that, and then God would turn his back on the people. And he would allow persons to come, people to oppress them, until they cried out to God. People like the Philistines and the Midianites and even the Moabites and the Ammonites, but not the Fraserites, okay? (laughs) They were good. 
So then God would raise up for them judges who would come, and they were usually military leaders who would uh, be able to win them victories over these oppressors, and they would turn back to God, but only for a time. (laughs) And then they would turn back toward these other gods. So into the midst of this, we have this beautiful story of Ruth, and I appreciate Chris so much, you know, as we were looking at this series, and I said, oh my, Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba, and he says, I'm gonna let you preach a sermon or two, and I said, yeah, I know who I'm gonna get. (laughs) I'm gonna be stuck with Bathsheba or something like that, but he gave me the beautiful story of Ruth. So if you're using a pew Bible, it's found on page 262, or look in your Bible, you have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then 1 Samuel, and uh, the coming of the, the king. So right there, we find this little book. It's only four chapters long. I hope maybe you've been doing the, the study and we've been reading through that book. If not, read it. It won't take very long. It's only 85 verses long. You know, we have Psalms that are longer than that. So I invite you to, to read through this beautiful, beautiful book. And in the midst of the darkness that is going on in Judges, we see this light of especially three people who are faithful to God. Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Now we start in verse one in chapter one. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. So they were from Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. But at this moment, it was anything but a house of bread because there was a famine, probably because of a drought, and there was no food there. And they were desperate just to survive And so they traveled to the land of Moab, which was on the other side of the Jordan River. Moab was not part of the promised land. It was on the other side traveling east. And so they probably went from Bethlehem down, probably toward Jericho, crossed the Jordan River, and headed out into the plains of Moab, where um, they were prosperous and where the ground had been fertile and they'd had rain and so they knew that there was food there. So they go, now remember, I said about the Moabites from time to time, They would cross over the Jordan River into the promised land to attack and molest and raid the people of Israel. So it's almost like they're going into the enemy's camp over there for a time, but they are desperate. Now, a lot of the things that we read in this story are kind of foreign and strange to us. Remember, this is taking place a long time ago. It's over a thousand years before Christ was born. And we know Christ was born 2,000 years ago. So a long time ago, uh, in another part of the world where things were very, very different. Us moving for a famine seems strange. Although today we're still familiar with refugees who leave countries sometimes because of a famine, sometimes because of war or a natural disaster. And they leave their land and their country to go someplace else where they can survive and find a better life. That's what she did. So they've traveled into Moab and things go from bad to worse. Uh, We continue reading there um, in verse three. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years. 
And then both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Oh my, to lose all the members of your, the male members of your family, your husband, your sons in a foreign land. That's where Naomi found herself. And in the message that I hear there is that bad things happen. Bad things happen, and we hear about bad things happening to good people or bad things. Bad things just happen to all people. We're all gonna face that, aren't we? Many of you here have faced it. Um, uh, the loss of a loved one, a difficulty with a relationship, the loss of a job or income or things like that. We've all faced bad times, and it does happen. That doesn't mean that God is punishing you. That doesn't mean that God is angry with you. We see nothing in um, Naomi um, that, that says she was a bad person, but just bad things happen. And so there she is. The question is how you deal with those things. How do you deal with those things? In John 16, verse 33, Jesus reminded his disciples with these words. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You see, in this world you will have tribulation. Doesn't say you might have, you could have. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer and take heart, for I have overcome the world. So what do we do when we face these bad times? Do we turn to the Lord or do we turn someplace else? And it appears that Naomi somehow, the way she handled this, although she said, change my name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter, but yet she handled it in a way that somehow touched both Orpah and um, Ruth in a very, very significant way. And so... After a time, it says she was there for 10 years. This was not a short sojourn. She's there for 10 years when finally she hears that the famine is over. God has visited his people back in Bethlehem and back in the Holy Land, so she decides that she's going to go home because she doesn't have any family in Moab. She doesn't have anybody to protect her or to care for her or to do anything. She's really not even sure if anybody's left in Bethlehem, but she's got a better chance there than she does here in Moab. So she decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem. And as she starts down that road, her two daughter-in-laws cling to her. They've seen something in her, something about her nature, something about her God. There's something that they admire. And so they begin down the road with her. But Naomi is concerned about them. She says, I, I have nothing to offer you. I, I'm destitute. I'm a widow, I don't know if I have any relatives back there at all, and certainly I'm too old to be married again, and if, even if I had other children, would you wait for them to grow so that you could marry them? Go back, go back to your homes, go back to your families, and there you can find another husband, and there you can raise families, but don't come with me, and they loved her and they hugged her neck, and Orpah went back to her family, but we have these beautiful words of Ruth, who refused to go back to her people in Moab. Instead, travel with Naomi. Listen to this in verse 16 of chapter one. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Wow. Sometimes we use those words at weddings about a new couple coming together. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And we will be together until death do us part. And so Ruth goes with her. Why? What does she have to offer? 
because of her love, because of her faith. So here's the other lesson. Faith and action and love, they all go hand in hand. Ruth understood who Naomi was and what she believed and this God who she believed in. And it was so powerful that she wanted to stay with her and she loved her so much. Now we all hear these mother-in-law jokes. That wasn't the case with them. She truly loved her mother-in-law and went, and I couldn't help but think of that passage in 1 Corinthians 13 at the end where it says, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Wow, what a beautiful story we have here as Ruth now travels back with Naomi to a distant place, to a place where she doesn't know anybody, to a place where she's not familiar with the customs and anything like that, but there she goes. And the amazing thing is God is with them. God is traveling with them. He protects them on their journey. Could have been anywhere from 50, I heard, to 120 miles on foot, they didn't have cars back then. Did you know that? No cars or buses or planes. So they had to go by foot, perhaps with a donkey, but they were destitute, probably on foot. Would have taken week or weeks to make that journey and fear of being attacked or something molested on the journey. But God was with them and protected them. And when they got back to Bethlehem, it was the time of the barley harvest. It was harvest time, and so Ruth was able to go into the fields and glean and to get food for she and for Naomi um, because there was this beautiful, beautiful law uh, about the promised land that they were not to glean, that they were not to harvest their fields to the edges or to the corners, but they were to leave that for the poor in their land. Listen to this passage of scripture from Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 24, verse 19. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in a field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, for the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. And in Leviticus chapter 19, 9 and 10, we find, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. It even said, when you beat the olive trees, don't beat them a second time. But leave that for the poor and the orphans and the widows. It was kind of a welfare system they had. So Ruth was able to go into the fields and she was able to glean. God provided it's the next message for you. God provides. Now, it doesn't say that they had the fatted calf to eat or that they had goat or lamb to eat or anything. It says that they had grain, grain they could roast, grain they could uh, ground down to make bread, barley loaves with. You remember the story of the little boy um, with the feeding of the 5,000? He had five barley loaves and the two fish with him. It wasn't the best of meals, but it was sustenance, and you could live on that. So the barley harvest God was with them. Um, God was providing for them. When we say the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? Give me this day my steak and potatoes. Give me this day my country fried steak and gravy. No. Give us this day our daily bread. Meet my needs. Provide for me what I need this day. That's what God was doing for Naomi and Ruth. God is our provider, and he does provide for us. And then, amazingly, Ruth stumbles into this field. We read in chapter two, verse three. 
So Ruth set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know where his field is, but God is guiding her steps and working in her life and guides her to the field of Boaz. And when he sees her, he knows who she is. And so he says, provide for her. Let her drink from the water that the men draw. Let her come and eat with us. Don't harass her. Even drop some of the sheaves that you've collected on the ground so that she may gather them. He knew of her reputation. He knew what she had done for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so he provides for her. You see, God is working out a plan here. He is. God has a plan for your life. Did you know that? God has a plan for his world and for all of his creation. And he is working that plan out in ways that oftentimes we don't see and we don't understand. Ruth didn't know that she stumbled onto that field of a person who could redeem her. But God was making the way. God does that in our own lives as well. I think about Ruth leaving her homeland and going to um, Bethlehem. And what would that be like to go to a foreign culture? When I was 14 years old, my family was uprooted and we moved to Alabama from Pennsylvania. Now, it wasn't another country, but it was close. Um, I mean, moving from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains and German-speaking folks and Amish and all that to Selma, Alabama, and uh, uh, just life and the foods and the churches and everything, it was so, so different. Now, I wasn't like Ruth, I didn't go joyfully. I went kicking and screaming. <laughs> but you see, God was working in my life. God was working in my life, because if I hadn't been here, I wouldn't have met my wife, Ashley. If I hadn't been here, I don't know that I ever would answer a call into the ministry, and I know I wouldn't have been here at Fraser Church, but God had a plan for my life. God had a plan for Ruth's life and for Naomi, and he was working it out, and it was part of his plan for all of us. Isn't God amazing? So remember that. God has a plan for your life, and he's working. In Methodist circles, in Wesleyan circles, we talk about God's prevenient grace. God's grace that goes before us, God's grace that is often hidden, but God working, and oftentimes we don't see it until we look back over what God has done. Ruth had no idea what God was doing in her life. And so Naomi is still concerned about Ruth and about her future. We move to chapter three of Ruth. It says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you are to do. And Ruth replied, all that you say, I will do. Wow, what kind of custom and strange thing is this? That I'm supposed to go to the threshing floor and I'm supposed to find where this man lays and then I'm supposed to go and uncover his feet and lay down his feet. But she trusts Naomi. She, she, know, she knows Naomi would do nothing to harm her. And so she follows through with that. 
And now they go to the, the threshing floor, which usually was on an elevated uh, mound, and usually they did it at night when there was a breeze, so that they could then crush the grain and everything and separate it from the chaff. Uh, they would either do it by foot or they might use an animal or a sledge or something that would do that. Then you had to winnow it and throw it up into the air and the breeze would blow the chaff away. You would be left with the grain that would fall to the ground. You would get that up and heap it together and uh, they would do this at night usually. They were harvesting during the day. They were threshing during the night and it was a time of celebration and joy. And so Boaz was there um, and then he would sleep by the pile of grain so that no one would steal it. <laughs> People wouldn't come in during the night, and there he was. And Ruth finds him uncovering his feet. Now, servants would oftentimes bow down at the feet of their master or lay at the feet of their master. It was a sign of humility, okay? It was a sign of subservience, and that's what Ruth is doing. And when he wakes up and he sees her, he commends her. He says, you are so noble. He says, you didn't seek out the young men or the rich men. Instead, you came to your Redeemer, and came to be under my wings. And he says, I've heard you, and I will respond, and I will seek to become your kinsman redeemer, even though there is someone who is a closer relative than I, but I will work this out. And so he does. He goes to uh, the gates of the city where work was done. It's almost like their city hall, their courthouse. He has to get 10 witnesses there. And as they gather there, the other relative is there. And they begin working out this agreement about some property that Elimelech has and who is going to have it and who is going to inherit and he talks to this other relative and he says, there's some land that belonged to Elimelech. It is now available. If you want to redeem it as the closest kinsman, you can do that. And the gentleman said, sure, I'd like to do that. He says, but know this. When you redeem that land, you also, it also comes with Ruth so that you can marry her and have offspring by her so that the inheritance will perpetuate in the land. And the guy says, oh no, <laughs> can't do that. Probably already married. I've got enough going on. I don't need that. So Boaz says, then I will take the land and you are witnesses to this. And he gives them his shoe, a sandal. That's how they would seal agreements. Back, I told you this is really kind of strange and foreign. I, I can't imagine someone going to Judge Judy and saying, you know, I I've got this disagreement going on. And uh, she'd say, do you have any paperwork? Do you have a contract? No, but I got his shoe. I have it right here in my hand. So I brought this. If anybody has something to work with me afterward, we'll go to the, the doors of the church and, and deal with that. So he takes the shoe. He buys the property. He buys also Ruth. You see the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer could redeem someone's property. It means to buy back or to set free. A kinsman redeemer could set somebody free who had sold themselves into slavery to pay a debt that they owed. The kinsman redeemer could do that. And the kinsman redeemer could help with the inheritance by marrying the woman and providing offspring to her. That's what Boaz did. And God blessed them. In chapter four, uh, verse 13, at the end it says, and she bore a son. And then in verse 17, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Ruth was the great grandmother of King David. Who knew? But God was, well, did I tell you that God has a plan? Did I say that? God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for this world. And God is our kinsman redeemer. 
Jesus came into the world to redeem the world, to redeem you, to redeem me. Now remember what the kinsman redeemer does. First, he can redeem property and things, material things that we have. Jesus came that we might gather treasure in heaven. In Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he is redeeming the things that we have of this world. They're not ours. They belong to God to give him praise and glory, and we should lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. He also, a kinsman redeemer, can free us from slavery. My friends, we've all been slaves to sin, haven't we? And the consequences of that is death. Jesus came to redeem us, to set us free from sin. He came to be our kinsman redeemer. Romans 6, 20 through 22. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time for the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And that's the last thing, is our inheritance. God sent Jesus as our kinsman redeemer to restore the inheritance that is ours. And that's eternal life in his presence, his kingdom. That's what God created us for. But because of the fall and because of sin, that was broken. But Jesus came to restore, to redeem by his grace. So as we prepare for his coming, remember God's redeeming grace. He came to set you free. He came to buy you back. And he offers you the gift of eternal life. Don't forget the reason of the season. Don't forget this beautiful story of Ruth, how God worked in her life, how God wants to work in your life, how he wants to redeem you and set you free. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we just come before you. Thank you for your servant Ruth and for Naomi and Boaz lights in the midst of darkness and how you worked so wonderfully in them who became grandparents and great-grandparents of David and then ultimately in the lineage of Jesus who was born in Bethlehem as our Redeemer. Lord, help us to receive that redeeming grace in our hearts each and every day to know that we were bought at a great price but that we have been set free from the bonds of sin and death. Walk with us through this beautiful season we pray in Jesus' name. And in a moment, we're going to continue our time of worship, and maybe you need some prayer today. Uh, these kneeling rails are gonna be open. I invite those who are volunteers who are gonna be uh, volunteering to pray with folks up here to come at this time, and I uh, just encourage you to spend some time um, with the Lord as we continue worshiping together.